Welcome to the ASC podcast, Cytopath Pod. Join special guests to highlight ASC activities in cytopathology education, advocacy, and research. Greetings, everyone. I'm Barbara McGahee-Frain. I am currently co-chair of the foundation board um, for the American Society of Cytopathology, where we very um, happily um, gather funds and then we distribute them for uh, grant recipients in the areas of advocacy, education, and research. So I'm currently reporting to you from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I am the program director for the Indiana University Cytotechnology Program. And it is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Kelsey Hummel, who is coming to you from Texas today. I'm going to allow her to introduce herself and then she is going to tell us about uh, her project. So with that, I give you Dr. Kelsey Hummel. Thank you so much, Barbara, for that great introduction. So hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Kelsey Hummel. I am a PGY3 at the Anatomic and Clinical Pathology Residency at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. Um, I'm very excited to tell you about one of my global health projects, which is specifically um, establishing a mobile cytopathology clinic for fine needle aspirates of superficial masses in rural Southern Rwanda. So this project came about from my collaboration that originally started with my American Society for Clinical Pathology Global Trainee Fellowship back in April of 2021. Basically, I sat down with the pathologists in the anatomic pathology department, and I asked them, what does your hospital need? And one of the projects that they have been discussing doing for a while is trying to set up this mobile cytology clinic. There are a number of reasons for this. One of them being that the patients in the Southern Providence of Rwanda basically go to Shashu Bay, which is this referral hospital for the Southern Providence and part of the Western Providence. However, for a lot of these patients, the Providence is fairly rural, meaning that a lot of these patients do not have private transportation in order to get to the referral hospital in order to receive advanced diagnostic care. So these patients, unfortunately, seeing how much it costs to travel to this referral hospital and just general, the general culture of health for these patients, they don't see the benefit of going and seeing a physician to look at these types of superficial masses or even get followed up by a physician there. So what we want to do is take some of that diagnostic testing and bring it to them. And the goal is to eliminate that obstacle of being able to get to healthcare because as much as we talk about, oh, let's bring this testing to an area or let's make sure that this one hospital has this type of technology, we have to remember that healthcare is not just about providing the technology. It's about a lot of social factors. It's about the culture of medicine. It's about transportation. It's about funds. It's all these different things that can affect a patient's ability or even their interest in trying to, frankly, advocate for themselves and be able to 
um, get look into these medical procedures. So that's the very short <laughs> part of it. Um, and so what our goal is, is with these funds from ASC, we want to establish these clinics at what are called the district health centers within one district of the Southern province. This is the Southern province that does have Shashu Bay, which is again, the referral hospital within the district. And the goal is by going to these district health centers, one, we can provide a fine needle aspirate of these superficial masses. This is something we do in the US generally that we can perform at bedside with these patients. And the goal is to try to provide same day diagnosis. Now, if a fine needle aspirate does appear to be positive for malignancy, it will be taken back to Shashu Bay and reviewed by a second pathologist. This is standard of care. And I want to emphasize that because this is not providing a, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this. This is not just providing a, a this is providing standard of care for these patients. This is what they would be receiving even if they came to Shashu Bay. So it's not providing a subpar testing for these patients. We're really trying to provide the same testing, the same technology that they would be receiving if they were to come to Shashu Bay. And I think it's important to mention that because we want to try to establish these clinics so that way, our reach is much bigger for this referral hospital, as opposed to forcing all these patients to come to one spot, we're actually trying to reach out to these patients. So, <laughs> so how far in the process have you gotten? Have you traveled there and, and have you participated in one of these clinics or is it still in the planning phase? Yeah, you know, we're still in the planning phase. Um, it's what I've been learning is that when you do receive funds for your university, and I speak specifically as a resident. So when the funds come to me, they usually go through my university. And in order to use those funds for international projects, we have to get them confirmed through a lot of paperwork, basically showing this is what we wanna use the funds for, this is what we're gonna be paying for reagents, et cetera, et cetera. And so getting all those forms together has been several month long process. But the goal is that once we have all of these in place, we'll be able to access the funds and be able to distribute them as quickly and efficiently as possible. I have personally not traveled to Rwanda, mostly because of the pandemic. We've had several spikes occur here in the US and in other parts of the world. And so based on the COVID pandemic, we essentially have not traveled there. My ultimate goal, if uh, the pandemic subsides a little bit, I'd like to travel there during my senior year to at least go to Shashu Bay, see what everything is like. But the other aspect that I wanted to do with this is look at global health, not just as an experience for myself, but I, I listened to a lecture about decolonizing global health. And I thought this was a really helpful lecture because it's very easy as 
a resident to kind of come into global health and think, oh my gosh, all the stuff that I can learn. But if we talk about trying to go into a country, go into a situation where, all right, I'm going to do my project. This worked in my country. It should work here. And if you're not in that mindset of listening and hearing what your collaborators are telling you, because these are the people that are going to be here. These are the people that are going to help your project be sustainable. And that was one of the big things that I did is while, yes, I would love to go there. Yes, I'd love to be able to provide this clinic. My big goal is actually to work with my collaborators and, and ask them, what do you need to make this sustainable? Because I'm not going to be able to go there forever. I need, I want to help develop the infrastructure, but they're the ones that are going to have to be able to keep it going for years and years. So I'm okay with taking a back seat right now and just focusing on Let's get the money to where we need to go. Let's make sure we have all of our paperwork done. And then we'll talk about what needs to happen so we can make these possible. So it's still been planning. We're like probably three quarters of the way done with our paperwork. Um, and that's about where we are right now. The name of the project on your application was Mobile Cytopathology Clinic for Finding the Aspirates of Superficial Masses. In rural southern Rwanda. And I know you've been able to um, publish a poster. Uh, if you wanted to screen share that and we can take a look at the geography that you're describing. And on behalf of the ASC Foundation, we really um, love that your first question was to the collaborator, what, what do you need? Uh, and not this is what I think you need. It wasn't a statement, it was a question. And so that's fantastic because sustainability is, is a, big, um, a big goal for us as well. Uh, so yeah, maybe walk us through this poster a little bit and, and how we think things are going to look at a time when we can travel and share more freely. Of course, I'm happy to. So as I mentioned before, the mobile cytology clinic is actually just one piece of the larger goal of my project in Rwanda. So the first thing that we talk about in global health is capacity building, which the way that I think about it is it's increasing the diagnostic capacity for a particular hospital. So in Shashu Bay, um, going to our little introduction over here, well, you'll be able to read it a little bit more. Um, Shashu Bay is essentially the referral hospital for the southern part of Rwanda here in Butare. In the country of Rwanda, there are only five hospitals that can provide diagnostic testing for uh, cancer. And so three of them are in the capital city of Kigali. One is in Butare, and then one is here up in Butaro. Now, Butaro has been able to establish a collaboration with, I believe it's the, with Boston Medicine. I honestly have to double check that. But they've been able to have this international collaboration where they're able to provide cancer testing and treatment for free for patients. And so most of the patients are recommended to go to Bataro in order to receive their treatment, especially for folks who um, have lower socioeconomic status. So the problem is, although Shashu Bay down here in Butare 
although it services 3 million people, it only sees 1,500 surgical specimens and 800 cytopathology specimens. To put this into perspective, one of my hospitals, I would say we go through about 20,000 surgical specimens within a year and close to 5,000 cytopathology specimens. So that is a significant decrease or significantly lower amount of specimens for the amount of testing and people that we see. And this is just one hospital in the medical center. That's the other thing to keep in mind. This hospital is for 3 million people. So around the, the size of Houston, a little bit lower, and it still only sees that much. So when we're thinking about capacity building, as we talked about, we have to think about sustainability. If we're only seeing that number of specimens, what is the incentive to invest in an expensive axillary test such as immunohistochemistry? So for folks who are not familiar with immunohistochemistry, when we receive a biopsy in anatomic pathology, the first thing we do is we look at it at hematoxylin and eosin. That is our standard of care for tissue biopsies. If we want to figure out if this is a malignancy, so if it's positive for certain markers, such as ER, PR, when we have a breast biopsy, we need to do immunohistochemistry. Now, this can be an, a very expensive test because the antibodies are very specific. And you can do it in a couple of ways. You can do manual immunohistochemistry, which is what we're seeing here with the tech as they're going through the slides. Or if you're at a hospital that has a high enough specimen load, you can do automated immunohistochemistry. That is what most of the hospitals use here within the US. So when you have such a low number of specimens, usually what you'd wanna do is manual immunohistochemistry immunohistochemistry because you don't have to pay the upfront cost of getting that entire machine into the hospital. In addition, whenever you talk about trying to bring new technology into a hospital, you have to consider who's gonna provide the technical support. Are you bringing in a machine where the technical support doesn't even go to your country? Those are, those are the big things that we always have to consider because originally I was thinking, oh, let's get all these immunohistochemistry stains. Let's get this up to the standard of a lot of these other hospitals. But the IHC, that's our, our abbreviation for immunohistochemistry, the IHC doesn't even go to that country. <laughs> so there's no reason to invest in that particular system if we're not gonna be able to keep that system running. So this is why we wanted to go with manual immunohistochemistry. However, even though we're talking about doing manual IHC, this is still a very low number to offset the cost of IHC, especially because the patients here in Rwanda use a national or universal healthcare service. That means every patient, as they go to the hospital, they're going to pay a specific amount. It's gonna be the same amount for every patient for this physician check-in for a biopsy. If we want to add this additional testing, we either have to increase the amount of money that, the pa that all patients 
are paying for that tissue biopsy, or we have to receive enough specimens to create enough revenue to pay for the specific patients that will need this IHC testing. And this is where the cytology clinic comes into play. So like I said, we talked about having this very low number of specimens. And what patients have told us is that there is a long process that goes into getting just one tissue biopsy. So you know, here in the US, depending on your healthcare plan, you have to go to a family physician before you can get referred to a specialist. You have to go through X, Y treatment before you can discuss even going to surgery. They have a similar situation here. So currently, if a patient is going to be recommended to receive a tissue biopsy in Rwanda, they first have to go to their district health center. Then they need to get referred to a district hospital. And then they have to get referred again to Shashu Bay. To put this into perspective of the patients, let's say this is just one district, one district of the eight districts within the southern province. If I'm up here in the Northern part of this district, I would one, go to my district health center. Then I travel close to 15 miles here to go to the district hospital. Then I would go back home, get called again, that I need to go back to Shashu Bay in order to receive that tissue biopsy. The cost of transportation is five times the amount of what a patient would pay to see a physician. Mm. So the cost of traveling alone already is a huge hindrance for patients as it is. So if a patient has a lump, they're not as concerned about it, they probably will stay in their district area and get treated by a traditional healer. And so the problem is there could be a large number of cancers showing up in just one district, not even the province, just one district that are not being looked at because of these other obstacles. And here's the thing, we just talked about 15 miles here. What if we have someone that is not in Butare? What if we have someone that's on in this Northern part of the province? We're talking about at least 10, like maybe 50 miles or so. So these are all the factors that kind of that come into play when we're trying to plan these sustainable projects. So with the mobile cytology clinic, going back to what we've been talking about, what we wanna do is we wanna eliminate one of those steps by bringing the mobile cytology clinic to the district health center. What we wanna do is at that health center, we can tell the patient, okay, this is positive for malignancy. We want you to come to Shashu Bay to receive a tissue biopsy. We will give them the referral and say, you need to come straight to Shashu Bay, eliminating the need to go to this district hospital. Not only that, we will provide you money for the travel to come to Shashu Bay. So that is one less obstacle for these patients to have to go through. And so that's what we're using some of the funds for with ASC is to provide the social support for patients. With this in mind, if we can get them to come and do this tissue biopsy, we will have a better understanding of their disease process and be able to figure out, okay, do they need to go to Butaro to receive cancer treatment? 
is this something benign? And what we also want to do is if this mobile cytology clinic helps, we want to show that we have the framework. We know how to establish this kind of clinic and be able to make this a year round thing, especially if this is gonna show that we're gonna increase the number of tissue biopsies that Shashu Bay is receiving. In addition to just providing these FNAs, what we also want to do is provide an educational session on what the FNA procedure is. For example, these patients might be at their district health center and their physician is telling them, okay, you need to go in and do a tissue biopsy. But the physician here at the district health center is not gonna perform it. So how are they gonna learn about what this procedure is? Why is it important for that patient to go and get this procedure done? And basically let them know that your test could be negative, your test could be positive for malignancy. This, these are gonna be the next steps for you. We need to make it uplifting in a sense, because we may have just told these patients, okay, come in, you have a mass, we're gonna stick a needle into, your, into the mass and tell you whether this is cancer or not, which cancer can be a big deal. But when we're talking about patient care, we have to keep all these psychological and social factors in mind because they will affect how patients are going to follow up and what they're going to do for treatment. And so we have a research component with this mobile cytology clinic, which is going to be survey responses to what is your level of concern for this, for the superficial lesion? What are obstacles that would prevent you from going to Shashu Bay and receiving a tissue biopsy? What is your general knowledge about this procedure? Do you, do you know about it? Have you heard about it? Do you understand what this means for you? And this is the part that I would say is very grounded in the foundation's idea of patient advocacy. Because what we need to do is not just provide a service. We need to build our patients up to want to take an active role in their health care. And by equipping them with the knowledge of what this procedure can be, opening the door for trying to provide this procedure in a more comfortable environment that they're used to, because this is their district health center. This is where they go all the time. This is staff that they know and they've known for years and years. We're hoping to help provide better quality patient care by utilizing these factors. And I believe that's the majority of this, but I'm happy to go over any other specific parts um, if I missed anything. Oh, that's a great explanation. And I think it'll help uh, every interested party from our organization know how these funds are to be used. We look forward to you being able to bring this to reality and hearing from you again. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you found out that the grant was available and, and what the application process was like and, and how others like you uh, might be able to pursue similar funding? Oh, excellent question. So my first month of my global health fellowship, because originally I was supposed to go to Shashu Bay and then again, the pandemic happened. So I had to make it completely virtual. So what I decided to do 
was start searching for the pathology organizations that had grants available, knowing about ASC, ASCP, CAP, TSP, which is the Texas Society for Pathology. I started looking at these grants because when we talk about looking for grants for global health, a lot of projects, especially when they're on the large scale, this was the advice that I received. Um, if you can do this with NIH money, which would be helpful because it's a large amount, you'll be able to assign salaries, dedicate people specifically to this project. It can be a little frustrating because they tend to look for people who have received NIH funding in the past. And if you're trying to do global health work, you need to find some way to bring it back to the US. Why are you doing this procedure in, the, in another country instead of focusing on the US population? So I have wonderful mentors at uh, the BioVentures for Global Health, which was the logo that you also saw at the bottom. Um, so BBGH talked about going to foundation organizations. So I went to pathology foundations because as a resident, I felt I had a better chance of being able to receive at least a small amount of funds to focus on these projects. And so for me, I'm not, I'm not taking any kind of salary from this. All of this money is being used specifically to make these clinics a reality. Because as I mentioned before, one of the best things that we can do for global health is focus on investing in the community and the infrastructure that we are trying to make a sustainable change in. So I really wanted to use every dime that I could to focus on making this project happen. And so I found out about ASC. I saw their work with, I believe they had another project in Kigali for Rwanda, which was to help the cytotechs with, um, it was either reviewing pap smears or reviewing FNAs. It was trying to create like the study set to um, help the cytotechnologist. So I already knew that ASC would be a great option for me. And at first I was a little intimidated because I did see that their ASC was very focused on pap smears. And this was again, where I had to go back and talk to my collaborators. And I said, do you need, do you need funds in order to do pap smears? Well, they explained that in Rwanda, the, the culture around pap smears is not the same as it is in the US. There's a lot of other social factors that come into place. And for that reason, trying to establish something with pap smears was not going to be a great idea for this project. We also were going to need additional funds for it, more than what the foundation could provide. So this is why we decided to focus on the cytopathology clinic. And I wanted to make sure we had a, a part of the project that was dedicated to patient advocacy because that is what your goal is. So for the folks who are trying to apply for these type of applications, I always recommend that you, you read the fine prints, you look into what the organization has done previously, look and see what they're interested in funding. While it's always, you always wanna come in and say, this is my idea, 
this is what I want to do. When it comes to getting funds, sometimes you may have to adjust them a little bit in order to be able to receive them. And I think in a number of ways that can be for the better because by switching my outlook on doing this project, we can now focus on other aspects of health that are not just providing the test, but looking at how we can make this um, more personable. It's, it's more, uh, I almost wanna say humanitarian related, but it's, I do think that's a really important part of medicine that we don't always get the chance to talk about, especially on the pathology side. We're so used to being in the lab and I know it's lab week, so that's, I'm always excited <laughs> to talk about that. Um, in the lab, we get used to being considered this black box of like, here's a specimen, give me a result. And we lose that aspect. But in doing these types of projects, we get the chance to expose ourselves to those other parts of it. And I really enjoy that. So. Well, it's a very holistic approach and we can all learn from your experience so far. And we congratulate you on being a recipient of the grant and, and for having the tenacity to pursue that. And, for, and thank you for encouraging others. We look forward to hearing the next steps in this project uh, when, when it comes to fruition, hopefully in the next year or so. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to CytopathPod. You can reach ASC on Twitter at Cytopathology or via email at asc at cytopathology.org. Yeah.